evening, brothers and sisters. If you'll turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verse 3. This is going to serve as our uh, chief text here tonight. Um, I'll tell you a little story here today, especially as it relates to our message in the wrong perspective. I was getting off our elliptical here today, and uh, my kids love to get on our elliptical machine afterwards. And so my kids, hey, can we get on there, Daddy? Can we get on there? I said, sure, buddy. I said, you asked first, Judah, why don't you jump on there? And so he's on there for about a minute. And usually he's on there longer. And he says, I'm going to let Milana go first, is my daughter. So I'm going to let Milana go first. Uh, I I want her to go first. It just kind of got my attention, like, okay, what's behind this? I said, hey, buddy. I go, "Um, why are you letting your sister go first? And I was just curious. And he says, because I love her. And I said, oh, buddy. And then it was quick right after that that my little Milana said, he's only letting me go first because, you know, he wants me to be last in heaven. And I thought about this, and I thought, you know what? It's the idea of the wrong perspective, but the right value. And I serve that as a backdrop here for our message here today. I'll have one more story about my kids here in a minute. But if you read with me on 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verse 3, let me here read that here for us. This is the Apostle Paul uh, giving us a warning regarding the idea of deception and the competing values uh, that we often have between the church and the world. He states in 2 Corinthians eleven three, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity which is in Christ. If you'll pray with me. Father, we, we wish to see Jesus tonight, Lord. That is the cry of our hearts, God. We desire, Lord, in a very real way to meet with your son. We're so thankful, Lord, that you've opened up fellowship, Lord, with your people. Jesus, we long to see you. We long to reach out. We long to touch you. God, we ask that tonight, Lord, that you would come and you would be our guest, God. That you'd come to speak in each and every person, to each and every person, in each area of our lives, God. Awaken us, Lord, to the beauty and the simplicity of Christ. We ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. Again, um, I love this coffee shop feeling. I feel like I should be ordering my green tea latte or something. But um, I love this church for many reasons, but one thing I really enjoy about this church is people's desire to fall more in love with Jesus. I think about our mission here at, at Calvary, simply Jesus. And so tonight, I want to kind of unpack a little bit about this value that we hold in the church and how it is oftentimes very contradictory to what the world would say. Oftentimes, you know, it's interesting, the correct path in living simply for Christ is easily discernible, right? Um, There are obvious values that we hold as the church uh, as opposed to values that the world holds, right? That are in clear contradiction, they're diametrically opposed, and the path seems very easy to navigate, right? Uh, The good, the bad, right, turn here, don't go there, and so it becomes very simple. But nonetheless, the practical living of simply Jesus, right, can oftentimes be much more complex, right, than it really is. And I share this because I believe in our world today, there's these competing worldviews, right? There's these competing values that we have. And oftentimes, the same values that we have here in the church are often can be the same values that we have in the world, right? Examples, right? The preservation of life, right? The idea that that life has an inherent value, right? Um, Not every country believes this. Um, Not every country holds up the idea of people's dignity. I think about values even such as the desire to love and to be loved, right? It's part of our genetic makeup. 
perhaps even another example would be the dignity of respect or the idea of character, right? These would be values that both the church and the world share. Agree? Yeah? And so there's similar values that we find in and out of the church. A few years ago, I was driving down the street with my kids in the car, and um, I stopped real quickly and really abruptly for a pedestrian to pass in the middle of the street. And my daughter, my oldest daughter from the back seat says, Daddy, um, we don't run over people with our cars because we're Christians, right? Right, Daddy? And I thought to myself, yes, but I'm pretty sure that non-Christians do the same, right? That, that this idea is a shared value, right? That Christian or not, this is a shared value we all possess. And so sometimes, though, I believe that the distinguishing factor isn't so much of uh, what the value is, Right? So the distinguishing factor isn't merely what the value is, but how we appropriate the value, how we live it out, right? I'll give you an example, right? We talked earlier about the preservation of life, but let's be honest, the church has a very different view about the sanctity of life, right, that the world has, right? You looked at the idea of the marriage covenant, right? So we all desire to be loved and to love, but the church has a very different perspective most, most of the time uh, than the world does about the marriage covenant. And so, like I said, there's competing values that are often very similar, part of me, but oftentimes can be lived out very differently. And it's with that that I think about the backdrop of our chief text tonight. Look at it again with me. Allow me to read it with this in mind. The apostle Paul warns us again in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse three. He says, But I fear, lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity which is in Christ. So Paul here warns us, right, about the deception, that it's real, it's present, right? It's something that in the church we battle. And there are many issues we could tackle tonight, um, and we won't nearly try to cover a whole lot of them, but rather I want to just focus on one. I want to focus on one that I believe... um, as we think about the church today, that we often think about, well, the world misappropriates values, but certainly that doesn't happen in the church. But I would submit to you tonight that there are areas that even within the church at large, not at Calvary Vista, but the other places, right, that there are these values that are misappropriated, that is, that they're not correctly lived out. And that's what I want to focus on here this evening, that it's not just the world that often can incorrectly appropriate values. I submit to you tonight again, that we have places in the church, right? And just like my daughter, that we have values where we're misinformed, where we don't have the full picture, right? That we don't see clearly. And as a result, we're deceived. And so Paul warns us once again. So tonight I want to value, examine a value or a trend that I see going on in our culture today. Um, when Rob asked me to share this message, I gotta be honest with you, um, it had been months in, in the doing. Um, there had been notes, I never, I never planned to necessarily preach a sermon on this, actually. I don't do that often at all. And yet, this had been something that God had just been stirring in my heart. And so I want to examine a value or a trend that I see in our society today that I believe that we as the church also can grossly misappropriate as a value. I'd like to share with you a word that's heavy on my heart, something that God's been, like I said, been teaching me for a while. And so I'm simply one beggar sharing with another beggar where to find bread. Amen? I'd like to examine the cultural phenomenon, the obsession that we, our culture has with the pursuit of happiness, the right of happiness. You know, we think about rights in our culture today, and um, one doesn't need to look far, right? In social media, um, the news, the workplace, anywhere you go, to see that as a society, we are absolutely fixated, right, on individual rights, right? I'm gonna argue today that namely it's the right of the pursuit of happiness. 
right? That this is something that we highly prize as a society, and perhaps we should in many ways, right? It's a value that we share in the church and out of the church, right? It's a shared value. But I, I would argue to you, argue with you tonight and submit to you tonight that how we live it out and how we appropriate it can often be very, very different. And so this is what I want to examine here this evening. And what should be the tr- church's proper response to such a cultural value as the pursuit of happiness, the right of happiness? You know, we find this really in its inception in the Declaration of Independence, don't we, right? Those history buffs, I was a history teacher. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator. So they're gifted by God, these rights that we have, right? They're endowed. And that they're unalienable, they cannot be taken away, right? They're gifted by God. That among these are the right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, A plus, excellent. And so, you know, we find this, you know, it doesn't surprise us, right? All of us wanna be happy, right? in and out of the church. This is something we all highly value. But our society has been fixated on the pursuit to such a point where I don't know that it's really what the founding fathers prescribed. When I look at the study of history, and I won't get too much into this here this evening, um, it wasn't even actually the idea of pursuit of happiness in its inception. Jefferson had borrowed the idea from a French philosopher by the name of John Locke, who actually argued that it was life, liberty, and the ownership of property. Perhaps Perhaps there's some connection between ownership of property and happiness, I don't know. But... It's interesting to me when I look back on what the founding fathers really intended, that it really wasn't about my individual rights, right, inconsequential how that affects you, but that these rights were understood to be for the common good. And as a result, these rights were responsibility, right? A responsibility, a shared responsibility, rather than, well, this is my right. And so this is our focus I want to look at tonight. And unfortunately, our society sees our happiness as its supreme goal, right? No matter who might be in the way. Anything that threatens our rights is quickly vilified, quickly removed, quickly uh, destroyed in our society, isn't it, right? When we think about our pursuit of happiness, what makes me happy, right? If you're in my way, I just gotta take you out. And so this trend is what I wanna look at here in, in, in more detail here tonight. But I, I wonder, have we, as, fo- have we as, fo- as followers of Christ correctly interpreted these values? Are we correctly living out the value of the right to happiness. I would suggest to you that we've unwittingly taken our cues from our culture on what it means to pursue happiness and even what happiness even is. So let's examine tonight a little bit about what the Holy Scriptures have to say about right, shall we? Turn with me in your Bibles, if you'd like to, to Judges chapter 17, verse six. Let me just give you the backdrop because we're not gonna spend a lot of time in Judges, actually. But in the book of Judges, and really not unlike the vast majority of scripture, right? We are told about instances, listen to this, whereby the people of God, right? Not just the world, but that the people of God were deceived and corrupted, falling prey to cultural norms and practices to the point that they were committing idolatry. Notice I said not just people outside the church, but quote, the church of that time, right? We're living in a place that they were taking cues from our culture, from their culture, And if you read the verse with me, we're told that everyone did what? What was right in their own eyes, right? Is that not the cry of the multitudes today, right? What's right is right for me and what's right is right for you, but don't tell me what's right, right? You live in this place where we prize our rights, and so we should, I believe, right? These are great values. They're gifts from God. We've been endowed from the creator with these certain unalienable rights, And so we hear this and 
we hear the echoes of this in our social media and all other places. And like in the times of judges, we've misappropriated the right, namely the right to happiness. So let's see if we can't dig into this a little bit further. So lest we as Christians <laughs> remove ourselves too far from uh, this indictment, right? This indictment that, you know, we would misappropriate this value. Let's take a look at what some people might say. These are just some things that some people might echo today. I have the right to say whatever I want. It's not my responsibility if others are offended. They just need to hear the truth. I have the right to be respected and or loved. If that spouse of mine can't give me what I deserve or show me the love and respect, then I'm, I'm done. They can't walk all over my rights. My boss doesn't appreciate me. If he or she cannot value me and my rights, I'm not gonna work harder than I need to. My kids don't show me the respect I deserve. I don't wanna treat them this way, but they need to respect me as the parent. That person is so inconsiderate, he, should, he or she is no friend. They don't know how they're acting towards me or treating me. And you look at all these statements and all of them are intimately connected to the pursuit of happiness, aren't they? The people are unhappy. Perhaps if you're like me, you can resonate with some of these, right? Some of these sentiments. Even we as Christ followers, right, are staunch in making sure that people don't walk all over us, that we don't serve as anybody's doormats, right? Nobody wants to be in that place. But let's take a look tonight at the life of Christ, shall we? Because I can pontificate all here tonight and mean really absolutely nothing. But let's see what Jesus says, simply Jesus. Turn with me to Matthew chapter five, verse 38. And I wanna just kind of ask us some preview questions here. What rights did Jesus, Jesus cherish? I wonder if Jesus was as preoccupied with defending his right to happiness. I wonder, I wonder if he was as preoccupied as we are. I wonder if Jesus was engrossed as much as we are with our sense of entitlement. Let's find out, shall we? Verse 38 of chapter five in the book of Matthew. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, Jesus says, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You know, in this passage, we witness um, something that's so counterintuitive, right? I mean, you would never find that anywhere in our world today, right? This is seen as foolishness, isn't it, right? This idea of relinquishing your rights, especially as, as, as it has to do with everyday relationships. I mean, understand this is the context. And, and I love my rights, as I said before. I'm a patriot at the core, and I appreciate what our men and women have done to secure those rights. And so please that, understand that I'm not talking about the rights that we simply enjoy, like freedom of speech or the freedom of religion. But as I think about the rights or the so-called rights that we utilize within our day-to-day relationships, I'm wondering just how Jesus sees those, quote, rights. Here, I believe that it's really clear, right? That Jesus' call is to relinquish our rights, right? There's no place for an eye for an eye, right? No place to, quote, defend our honor. These are hard words. These are hard words. We can argue here tonight whether this is to be taken literally and metaphorically, but one thing that's really clear about all of these things is that there's a relinquishing of rights, isn't there? A sense of laying it all down. And this is hard stuff. Jesus calls us to abandon those rights within relationship, right? 
Now, I'm not advocating here tonight that we advocate um, the right to um, just allow anybody to do everything, especially as we think about some of the horrific abuses going on today. I'm not advocating any of that. I'm talking about those ways in which we argue, but I have the right to, or we demand such rights within a variety of relationships. This is what I got our focus to be on here tonight. I think another way we can find out even more about how Jesus viewed rights is in the book of Philippians. Turn with me to chapter, uh, Philippians chapter two. A very famous piece of passage, one of my favorites, Philippians chapter two, verses five through eight. I love this passage because what Paul does here is he gives us greater insight into um, how we can keep our minds from being corrupted, from the simplicity of Jesus. And so tonight my whole goal is to simply give you Jesus, right? Simply Jesus. How does Paul give us simply Jesus? He's gonna talk here about keeping our minds from being corrupted. In fact, verse five says, in your relationships with one another, right? In those places where you might wanna exercise those rights and demand those rights, the apostle Paul exhorts us and says, in your relationships with one another, have this same mindset as Christ Jesus, simply Jesus. He says, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage? Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And you know, note the various descriptors of Jesus, right? He's not concerned with equality, right? Look at the very first part of verse six, right? He's not concerned with equality, right? Hey, you got something, I need to have the same. He thinks himself nothing. I mean, the, def- the true definition of humility isn't necessarily thinking lowly of yourself, but rather not thinking of yourself at all, amen? It says here that Jesus thought nothing of himself. He made himself nothing. He sees himself in the role of a servant, and interestingly enough, servants don't have any rights. He is humble, being obedient unto death. He gave up his right to life, right, that we may have a right to life. It reminds me of the words of Jim Elliott, and Pastor Rob had quoted this a couple weeks ago in my very famous verse, or famous passage, or famous uh, verse, excuse me, famous uh, quote outside of the Bible from Jim Elliott, that he is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he will not lose. Jesus did that for us. On the cross, he could have called down a legion of angels, right? He had every right to do that, but he gave up that right to do what's right. Amen? So we began this study tonight with that chief text, right? Let's look at it again. You can, look at, you can just listen to me if, rather than turn there if you'd like. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse three. But I fear, Paul understood the reality of culture, right? That there would be a pull, a draw to our culture, a, a pull to, to conform to our cultural values, right? And like I said before, the pursuit of happiness isn't a bad thing, it's a great value. But he says this as he warns us regarding deception. He says, I fear lest somehow the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Why would Jesus call us to such radical discipleship, right? Why should he call us to relinquish rights associated with our personal happiness? Is he a killjoy? Not at all. The answer is found in the depth of relationship, isn't it? Paul writes about this when he calls it the fellowship of his sufferings, Right? Paul understood that there was a deepness, a richness that came as we identified with Christ in his sufferings. Here now, right? 
here now, you and I, in today, 2017, as we enter into the fellowship of his sufferings, as we relinquish our rights, we have an opportunity to enter in deep fellowship that couldn't take place outside of suffering, outside of that place where we say, you know what, I'm gonna lay down these rights. I could exercise them, and I'd like to demand them right now, but I'm gonna lie them down. And we enter into an abundant life that is simply Jesus. Only he can offer this in places where it's joy unspeakable, peace that surpasses understanding, and a love overflowing. Church, I want to challenge us. This has been difficult stuff for me to swallow in the past months, but it's been rich. It's just that idea as we relinquish our rights and our relationships with others, that we let go of the demands, we let go of the, this is what it should be like, why don't you respect me, why don't I get this in return, it's not fair, it's not equal, that there's a beauty of simply Jesus that we encounter his, his love and his peace and his joy. So issue this challenge here with you tonight. We often talk about the danger of knowing your rights, um, but I would argue that there's a danger in, excuse me, we often argue that there's a danger in not knowing your rights, but I would argue that there's a danger, right, in knowing our rights and exercising them and appropriating them in ways um, that aren't consistent with the Bible. So let's not take our cues from the culture, Amen. So, I'll end with this. I want us to attempt to cross the largest divide known to man. It's the 18 inches from the head to the heart, right? I believe God wants us to go from a place of knowing, right, these things to be true, and then doing them. Simply Jesus. Rob said a couple weeks ago that change that ignores the heart will not transform a life. So I'd like to borrow a quote from the educational world. This is the world that I live in. Ron Edmond articulates the chasm that can occur between change and when we fail to make changes. He says this regarding education. He says, we already know more than we need in order to do this. Whether we do it must finally depend on how we feel about the fact that we haven't done it so far. We know what we need to do, don't we? We know these things. I probably haven't shared anything with you new tonight that you haven't already heard in some way, but perhaps God has revealed something to you. Perhaps God has illuminated an area of your life where you've held on to your rights, your pursuit of your own happiness, independence of the common good of our loved ones, our coworkers, our neighbors. And perhaps God is calling us to lay down some of those rights. Paul did that when he counted all things lost for Christ. In fact, it says that he counted them as rubbish in order that he may gain Christ. Church, let's do that. Let's be a people who follow in the beauty and simplicity of Christ by relinquishing our rights. May I pray for us? Let's do so. Father, we come to you, Lord, in a place where, Lord, we don't even know ourselves fully. Uh, You know us better than we know ourselves. And, Lord, we come to a place, um, being honest and open, Lord, and saying that there are places, Lord, where we've been informed by our culture. We've taken cues from our world, Lord, in which we... um, aren't able to easily discern the right path or the right perspective or even how to pursue happiness. But Lord, I believe that the word here tonight, Lord, from your heart, Lord, is that we would pursue you, Jesus. And in so doing, God, we would know a peace and a joy and a love that comes from being side by side with you in your sufferings. God, would you continue to minister through my brothers and sisters here this week, speaking to them, illuminating things for them and giving them the power, Lord, to relinquish their rights. In Christ's name, amen.
All right. Thank you, Rick. Good word. Good thing for us to consider tonight. And, and uh, we want to respond to that now and just thinking about, okay, hey, is there an area, you know, in my life where maybe I've been, maybe it's in my marriage, maybe it's in some friendships, maybe it's, it really comes down to, I think, that unwillingness to want to die, die to self, die to our flesh, because we think, no, no, I deserve this, or I, you know, and we fill fill in the blank, and um, I was thinking about when Rick was sharing um, Psalm 144, verse 15, that says, um, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. And I think the key word in that phrase is Lord, <laughs> you know, whose God is the Lord, that he's the Lord of our life, that we, you know, are in that place when we want to just surrender and relinquish. And so we want to respond to this tonight um, as we worship, as we just take some time to wait upon the Lord. At some point this evening, um, I'm going to just give you opportunity to head back to the communion tables and our uh, pastors and elders will be back there available if anybody needs prayer if you have a prayer for you need prayer for um, just a spiritual need an emotional need but if you have prayer for a physical need and you'd like them to anoint you with oil tonight um, they'll be back there available to do that to pray for you pray for healing Um, But there's going to be a point in this time, we're going to begin in a minute to just worship, but then there's going to be a point where we're going to just pause, and we're just going to wait upon the Lord and just give opportunity for the Holy Spirit to um, just move and work and speak through the body of Christ that is represented here tonight, that is gathered here tonight. And and the way that that looks like is, uh, you know, you might just feel an, an impression upon your heart of the Holy Spirit wanting you to, to share. Maybe it's a word, a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom. Maybe it's a scripture verse. But I want to say this, and I don't, I don't say this at all to be... Um, rude but i'm just i think in this time what we're really really desiring is is uh, for us to be open and sensitive to the spirit and so it's not a time where oh i'm going to read right now my favorite bible verse um unless god is like really impressing upon your heart to read your favorite bible verse you understand what i'm saying but it's a time where we want to just be open to god using us and speaking and if and if you feel that I want to encourage you to, for some of you, you're going to need to stand just to be heard in this big room. But all of you are going to need to speak loudly when you pray, when you share, because Paul said the whole purpose of this is so that the body can hear and everybody can be edified. Everybody can be built up. And so, so that's the purpose. But we're going to begin just right now by um, just bringing our hearts in worship and just thinking about, praying in, considering what Rick shared with us tonight.